You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Josh, Pastor Snowd, for that song. I really appreciated that. And I uh, appreciate the invitation to be here um, this weekend. I've really enjoyed it so far. I'm glad that you're here. Um, Pastor Snow mentioned we have that connection with his brother, Nathan, Nate. He goes by Nate too, right? And so this is kind of funny because when he started that church there in Pittsburgh, uh, I was there at my dad's church, and we actually went over and helped uh, your brother start his church those first few weeks, kind of getting off the ground. My wife plays piano. She's a great piano player, so obviously they really valued her contribution. My job was to sit in the seat and take up some space, and I did that very well. I was very good at my job, and um, Nathan, he's a great basketball player, but Pastor Snow has assured me that he's a much better preacher than his brother is, so um, now I know if, if you happen to be visiting this morning, I hope you'll come back on a Sunday when Pastor Snowd is, is preaching. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. And of course, we're going to be speaking about stewardship and more particularly about finances. And I know that, as we've mentioned before in, in the earlier hour, and if you were here last night, it's always a difficult topic sometimes to tackle in a church setting because it's very personal. It doesn't seem very spiritual. Uh, my dad is a pastor, and growing up, I remember he would say this all the time. He would say, Show me your checkbook, and I will show you your priorities. Show me your checkbook, and I will show you your priorities. Now, for those that are under 20 in the room, okay, a, a check is a, it's a piece of paper. You can actually, like, pay people with it. They didn't, I think the last time they used it was when Abraham Lincoln was uh, president. But uh, show me your credit card statement, your bank statement. Money's important because it goes right to the heart of what matters to us. That's why Jesus spoke about it so often, and that's what we want to talk about today. So I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on the topic, the best investment opportunity of 2022. The best investment opportunity of 2022. Now, I'm in the world of finances, and I will admit to you that from time to time, I found myself daydreaming a little bit about what it would be like to make the investment of a lifetime. Like, what if I could have bought, like, an Amazon or a Google? I mean, what if I came up with the idea for Uber or for Airbnb? Like, how hard was that idea, right? Like, rent out your house, rent out a room in your house on the Internet. Like, couldn't I have thought of that and made a lot of money? I was talking to a lady in the um, Seattle area not too long ago, and she was telling me how way back in the day, there was this little... Uh, coffee company that had started in Seattle, and they were going public, and she bought $5,000 worth of Starbucks stock back in the day. And I don't even know how much that's worth today, but that was the investment of a lifetime, I'll tell you that. Now, I know you wouldn't be so materialistic and, and worldly to ever think about you know, what it would be like to make millions of dollars, but I have, okay? And uh, I want to I tell you a quick story here. I've got a picture of, of some guys here on the screen I want you to take a look at. The guy here on, uh, in the middle, actually. Now, the guy on the end, you may recognize him, so don't get too far ahead of me here. But the guy in the middle, his name is Ron Wayne. 
I, I doubt you've heard of him before. Back in the 1970s, him and his two buddies there, they decided they were going to start a company, and Ron Wayne was going to be the financier. The other two guys were like the brains of the operation. And um, they drew up a contract to outline how much ownership each guy would have, and Ron Wayne was going to have 10% ownership. And uh, 12 days later, he got some second thoughts about it because he realized he actually had some assets himself. These other two guys really didn't. And he figured, you know, if this, if this thing doesn't go well, the creditors aren't going to come after those guys. They're going to come after me, and I don't know if I want to do that. So he decided to, to sell his 10% stake in Apple computers. That's Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak on either side of him. Okay, now folks, 10% of Apple today is over $250 billion, which would make Ron Wayne the richest man in the world if he still owned 10% of Apple. Now here's the worst part. He sold his 10% stake in 1976 for $800. Ouch. Talk about a missed opportunity, right? Talk about the investment opportunity of a lifetime that slipped through his fingers. But how would he have known, right? How would any of us have known? At the time, when, I, when all these things came out, we didn't know. And we don't know today what's going to be the next Apple computers, what's going to be the next Amazon. We don't know. Have you ever done the same thing? Have you ever missed out on the investment opportunity of a lifetime? I hope not. But if you did, you probably remember it. You probably remember it pretty vividly, right? But what if you could go back and play it over again? What if I could give you $10,000, put you in a time machine today, and take you back 10 years ago, what would you do with your $10,000? Knowing what you know now, and you could replay the last 10 years, what would you buy? What would you invest in? You say, maybe you'd invest in a company like Amazon. After all, I mean, it's everywhere now. Huge company. If you invested $10,000 in Amazon 10 years ago, today would be worth about $145,000. That'd been a very good investment to have 14 times your money in just 10 years. You're like, Nate, I wouldn't have bought Amazon. Instead, I know an even better stock. I would have bought Tesla, right? That's a great company 10 years ago. People didn't really know a whole lot about Tesla. If you bought $10,000 worth of Tesla stock 10 years ago, today it'd be worth north of $1.2 million. Talk about that for a nice return. But I know some of you are thinking, no, 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 Nate, not Amazon, not Tesla. I know what I would buy. I would buy that internet money that nobody even knew of back then. I would have bought Bitcoin back in 2012. And if you did that, today it'd be worth about $80 million. Man, that would have been nice, right? And all of us would have loved to have that as a story that we could tell for generations to come. But the question is, what are we going to invest in? Because we can't go back 10 years ago, and we don't have the benefit of you know, replaying the past. But we can invest today, so what is it? Should we buy stocks? Should we buy cryptocurrency? Should we buy real estate? Should I start my own company? Should I buy mutual funds? Should I buy gold? Like what, what is it that's going to be the best investment opportunity of 2022? Well, today I want to tell you what I believe is the best investment opportunity of 2022. And the thing is, you're actually not going to find it on the New York Stock Exchange. And you're not going to read about it in Forbes magazine. You're going to find it right here in the pages of Scripture. I want you to take your Bible 
I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to go there in just a minute. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 10. I want to show you a map here on the screen. This is of Paul's missionary journey, his second missionary journey. Paul took several. And uh, the Apostle Paul, as I'm sure you're familiar, traveled throughout the Mediterranean, starting churches, preaching the gospel in those early days. We read much about his account and the places he went to in the book of Acts. And one of the cities that he went to was the city of Philippi. And you can see it kind of in the top middle there of the screen. It was the very first church started in modern-day Europe. Paul had received the Macedonian call. He had this vision of a man calling him over to Macedonia, come and help us. And so Paul goes there with his partner Silas, and they arrive in the city of Philippi, and they meet a lady named Lydia. If you remember her from the book of Acts, she was a seller of purple clothes, and uh, they run into this girl who's a fortune teller who's actually demon-possessed, and she kind of harasses them for a while, and then Paul and Silas in the name of Jesus Christ, cast out the demon out of her. And it actually causes a problem because she made a lot of money as a fortune teller. But then after Paul and Silas cast the demon out of her, then all of a sudden she was no longer a fortune teller. And her owners, because she was a slave girl, her owners were really mad about that. And they caused a riot. And they got Paul and Silas thrown in jail. But instead of being depressed and feeling sorry for themselves, what were they doing in the jail at midnight? They were singing and praising God. And an earthquake comes. And the jailer thinks, oh no, the prisoners have escaped. And he takes out a sword and he's going to commit suicide because he thinks, I might as well kill myself because that's the punishment for letting the prisoners go. And Paul and Silas say, no, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. And the jailer falls down. He says, what must I do to be saved? He's so moved by the testimony of Paul and Silas. This is the church of Philippi. Paul had been there 10 years ago and done, met all of these people, and done those things, started that church, and then moved on, and started other churches, and traveled to many other places. And now, he's writing a letter back to the church at Philippi. And very likely, these people are still, the Lydia, and the fortune teller girl, and the Philippian jailer, and his family, very likely are still members at this church. Paul's them, Paul knows them very well. They're very special to him. He has a very unique connection with this church. And in fact, what the Philippian church does is they send a man from their church named Epaphroditus to go visit Paul because Paul is now in Rome and he's in prison. And he's really gone through it recently and he's about to stand trial before Caesar. And they send Epaphroditus and they send some money to Paul. And now Paul is writing a letter back to the church at Philippi and he's going to give it to Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus is going to go home to the church at Philippi and he's going to read this letter to them. That is what we're about to read, a portion of the letter. And we're getting to the part where Paul specifically addresses the fact that they had sent him some money. And I believe that there are some timeless principles for us to learn from the book of Philippians, specifically as it relates to this area of finances and giving. So let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 10. Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So Paul says, hey, I'm glad that you are now once and again in a position to help me financially. 
Paul is thankful for the financial gift that they have sent him to help him in his need. Then notice this in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, not that I actually needed the money. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I want to make three observations here from this passage of what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi. The first observation I'd like to make is this. Number one, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. It's very interesting what Paul says. First of all, he starts by saying, I'm thankful that you care about me. I'm thankful that you want to support me financially. But notice in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Not that I needed it. Isn't that a very odd thing to tell somebody who just gave you money? <laughs> hey, thanks for the money. Just so you know, I didn't need it. <laughs> Doesn't that sound ungrateful? Doesn't that kind of sound a little bit rude? Like, what do you mean, Paul, that you didn't need the money? Have you ever given somebody money and then later found out that they didn't need it? <laughs> kind, of makes, kind of bums you out. You're like, oh, well, I kind of needed it, so I would have liked to have it back, please. Okay, uh, teens, here's some, here's some free financial advice for you, okay? When I was a teen, we do teen activities from time to time, and I did work a summer job, so I did have money, like not a lot, but I, I had money. But every now and then, we'd have a teen activity, we're going to go get dinner, we're going to do an activity that costs money. My mom would say, hey, here's 10 bucks, here's 20 bucks. Take the money. <laughs> Even if you have the money, just say thank you and take it anyway. That was my attitude, like, sure, if you're going to give me money, I will happily accept it. But is that what Paul is saying to the Philippians? Is he saying, hey, thanks for the money, but um, actually, <laughs> my bank account's already full. Like, I'm already loaded. Actually, no. Paul didn't have other money. If they didn't support him financially, he was going to go without. So what does he mean here that I didn't need the money? Well, then he goes on to explain. He says, God's taught me that I am to be thankful and content in whatever circumstance I'm in. What I've learned in life, and Paul had been through it, by the way. I mean, think about what the Apostle Paul had to endure. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was jailed. He was uh, betrayed. I mean, he, had, he was shipwrecked. He just went through a whole lot of bad stuff in his life. And he said, what I've learned in all of that is wherever I'm at, if I'm poor or if I'm wealthy, if I'm in health or if I'm sick, I'm content because all I need is God. And he gives me the strength that I need to do what I need to do. And so with or without money, I'm good. So in that sense, I didn't need the money. Paul is ready to face whatever lies ahead because his faith is in God, not in his money. Now that brings us to verse 13. And this is a very oft quoted verse but very often misunderstood verse because it's very often pulled from its context. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And if you take that verse by itself, it kind of sounds like what the Bible is saying is, I can do whatever I want to do because God's on my team. So I can hit a home run and I can make a three-pointer and I can do whatever I feel like doing because Christ strengthens me. Is that what Paul is saying? 
Well, no, when we look at the context, what he's saying is, I can go through anything, especially bad circumstances, because God gives me the strength. And what we have to remember, folks, is our strength is not in our money. That's not our provision. We have to be careful not to be lifted up in pride and say, well, I've got money in the bank, and I've got money in the retirement account, and I own my home, and so I'm good. Whatever comes my way, whatever happens in the economy, I can make it through it because of my money. No, 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 no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, Nate. So God doesn't need my money. Wow, that's actually kind of cool. So I don't really need to give then, right? I don't need, I can just have all of my money to myself because after all, God doesn't need it. Well, hold on, (laughs) stick around because we're not done yet. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was, um, was at the house. Uh, I mentioned I have three kids. Uh, Jaden is our oldest. He's six. And so it was just me and Jaden at the house. My wife had our two younger kids. She was out running some errands. And I knew she was going to be back soon. And so I told my son, I said, hey, Jaden, let's, uh, let's clean up the living room. Can you help me clean up the living room? Because when mom comes home, she's going to notice if the house is clean. Because that's what women do. They notice things. <laughs> Meanwhile, guys are oblivious. I could come back this weekend and my wife could have painted the house and there's like a 50% chance that I will notice. <laughs> but my wife notices everything. So I said, Jaden, can you help me clean up the toys? And so he did. And sure enough, when my wife came home, the first thing she says is, wow, look, the house is so clean. And she goes to Jay and says, did you help daddy clean up? And he has a big grin on his face like, yeah, I helped daddy. Let me ask you a question. Did I ask my son, Jaden, to help me clean up the living room because it was a really difficult task and I didn't think I could do it by myself. No, okay, it would take me two minutes to clean up the toys in the living room. Why did I ask him to help me? Because he's six years old and it's not really something that occurs to him. I want him to learn to be responsible. I want him to learn to be aware of when the house is a mess. I want him to be aware of the fact that his mother appreciates a clean home I want him to clean the room for his benefit, not for mine. And that's what we have to keep in mind. The reason God wants us to be generous is not for his benefit. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the creator God. Do you really think that he's up in heaven this morning looking at North Life Baptist Church and saying, man, I really hope that offering is good at North Life, because if it's not, I, I don't really know what we're going to do. I, I don't know how we're going to get the gospel. I don't know how my will is going to be accomplished in this world if I don't get their money. No, of course not. God doesn't need it. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. It's for our benefit and not for his. So, number one, God doesn't need your money. Number two, this morning, God offers you an opportunity to invest in his kingdom. So he doesn't need it, but he's offering you an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in this world, to invest in his kingdom. Let's continue reading in verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Paul's saying, listen, you've done well, Don't get me wrong, I'm glad for what you did, and and you certainly have helped me in my need. Verse 15, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so when I left you guys in those early days, 
No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Isn't that interesting? I showed you that map a few minutes ago. Paul started a lot of churches. He gave the gospel to a lot of people. He went all around the known world at that time. Who was the only church that had stepped up and been generous? The Philippians. This is not the first time that they had given him money. In fact, the, Paul says you, you gave, um, in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. This is at least the third time that they've sent money to Paul. They have been a regular supporter of his ministry. He's thankful for their, for their monetary support. Think about all the people that Paul reached, the churches he planted. No one else is helping him except for the Philippians. This is a good thing. I mean, they're the only ones stepping up to the plate. Now look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I don't want you to miss verse 17. To me, this is the key verse of this entire passage. This gets to the core of what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Philippi. Listen, I don't want a gift. This is not about me. This is not about you supporting Apostle Paul Ministries Incorporated so that I can say, all right, heyday, Paul's going to get himself some new sandals, going to get a new robe. Right. Is that what this is about? No. Paul says, I don't desire a gift. You know what I want for you? I want fruit that abounds to your credit. I want you to be a part of what God's doing. I want you to be a part of building his kingdom. Fruit that may abound to your credit. This past week, I um, stopped at Chick-fil-A, which, by the way, is a sentence that is true 90% of the time in my life <laughs> that I've been to Chick-fil-A in the last week. Um, in fact, actually, it was the airport Chick-fil-A at Cleveland, which, I'm sorry to report, they don't accept the rewards program at the airport Chick-fil-A. What is up with that? Because when I go to Chick-fil-A, I first of all, I go up to the line, and there's two lines because there's so many people that want Chick-fil-A, so you have to pick a line, and you look at it, and you try to gauge which line's going to go faster, and then it doesn't matter which one you choose. It's going to be slower, so you just have to learn to deal with it. You get in line at Chick-fil-A, and finally it's your turn to order, and you say, I want a number one, no pickle, because Why? Pickles, okay. No pickle, Dr. Pepper, because that's the best thing to order at Chick-fil-A. And then you hand over your credit card. And then also, what do you do? You pull out your phone and you scan the rewards app. Because when you buy food at Chick-fil-A, there are two transactions going on. One is the transaction for your food, and the other is rewards that are credited to your account, right? And that's what Paul is telling the Philippians. When you are generous, when you give to support my ministry or anything else... There are two transactions going on. Yes, the money that you gave me will help me to buy food and to buy lodging and to, you know, to take care of my travel expenses and allow me to do the things that I need to do, but there is also fruit from my ministry that abounds to your credit. Did you realize that, folks, that when you give and you support what God is doing in this world, yes, you're helping the church to pay for what they need to pay for, but you are also receiving credit to your account in heaven one day. I don't know totally what that looks like. The Bible's not really clear on what kind of rewards and treasures and what form that takes, but the Bible is clear 
that when you give and when you're generous, there is fruit that abounds to your account. And God wants you to have a part in that. God wants you to not miss out on what he's doing in this world. When we give money to gospel work, we're making an investment in eternity. That's what it is. It's an investment. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Very famous passage. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus here is preaching. Very likely you've heard this passage many times. Verse 19 of chapter 6, Jesus says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. You know, don't live your life for money, is what Jesus is saying. Don't make your life about accumulating stuff here, because you know what happens to it? It goes away. It rots. It goes bad. There's nice new clothes. They go out of style. The brand new house, guess what? Eventually, it's going to start to fall apart and need new repairs. The nice, shiny new car, eventually it breaks down and it rusts and everything you have can be taken from you and people steal it. And, but instead, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Lay up treasure in heaven. God says, I want you to make an investment in something that doesn't go away, where there's no risk. There's no possibility of it being stolen. It's there forever. How do we make an investment in eternity? Through our giving, through our generosity. That's what the Bible teaches. And then verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There it is. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's like I said at the beginning, show me your checkbook, show me your credit card, show me your bank account, show me what you spend your money on, and I will tell you what's important to you. The two are inextricably linked. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Another interesting passage here. Paul here is speaking to his protege, Timothy, a young man that he's mentored in the faith. Timothy is also a pastor. And Paul is giving Timothy some wisdom as far as how to lead his folks in his church. And he says this in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. Let's just take a quick time out there to charge them, challenge the people that are rich in this world. So, Timothy, you pastor some rich people. And Timothy also pastored some poor people, no doubt. But he said, specifically for the rich people, I want you to challenge them with something. But can I just say this right now? Everyone sitting in this room, we're all rich. And I know you're saying, well, Nate, <laughs> but you, you don't understand, Nate. Okay, I'm not rich. Other people in this room are rich. I'm not rich. I know by American standards, maybe you're not rich. But by world standards, by historical standards, we are better off than 99% of people who have ever lived. We're rich. We're blessed. And we should be thankful for that. But what should we do? Charge them that are rich in this world. So this is for us. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Folks, we have to really guard against being proud and trusting our riches. It's so easy to slip into. Because we think, well, I'm good. I have money. I've, I've got funds. I've got the salary. I've got the inflow. I've got... So, you know, uh, unless that changes, I'll, I'll let you know, God. But until then, I've got this. 
And sometimes we don't say that out loud, but that's how we live our life. And Paul says, warn them, Timothy, warn the rich people, don't do that. Don't trust your money, but the living God, trust God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And what should they do with their resources? That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Hey, folks, you know what? God's blessed us immensely, and you know what God tells us we should do with the blessings he's entrusted us with? We should do good. We should help others. We should be ready to be generous. You know, I, I've been heartbroken. We've, we talked about Ukraine and everything that's going on, and I saw a video just a couple days ago of many of these refugees from Ukraine, and I believe they were arriving in Germany, and at the station, the train station, they had boxes full of shampoo and soap and just basic items for people, and they had hundreds of people with homemade signs saying, you can come and stay at my house. Just people showing up at the train station, complete strangers saying, I don't know you from Adam, but I know you're going through a really tough time, and I want you to come and stay with me. What a beautiful picture of what God intends us to be in this world, to be those that are ready to help others, that use what God's blessed us with to be a blessing. Randy Alcorn says this. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I love that. Can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Everything that has a dollar amount attached to it, it's, you're not taking it with you. One day you're going to leave this world, and somebody else is going to enjoy all that. But every act of generosity is an investment in eternity, and that can never, ever be taken away from you. And now thirdly and finally this morning, God wants you to share in the blessing. God wants you to share in the blessing. God doesn't need your money. His will will be accomplished with or without you. But he wants you to be part of his kingdom work, and he wants you to share in the blessing. Let's look now at verse 18. Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So again, hey, I, I'm good. I, everything is taken care of. The money that you sent with Epaphroditus... It's, it's taking care of me. I want you to know that. But then, don't miss this. Notice what he goes on to say at the second half of that verse. He says, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What's all that about? What's he talking about there? An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice. He's using very descriptive language, language that his audience would have definitely recognized as being a reference to the temple and temple worship. Do you remember in the Old Testament era when people would go to the temple to worship God? How would they worship him? They would burn the incense so that that aroma would be pleasing to God. They would take sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and offer them there on the altar. and Then God would receive that as, as something that was worshipful to him. So Paul is comparing the money that they gave him to the sacrifice in the temple. He's saying, in the same way that God is pleased with the incense and God is pleased with those sacrifices, he's pleased with the gift that you've given him because that's what it is. It's worship. And we have to remember this, folks. When you 
give online, when you drop money in an offering plate, when you help others in need, when you use your time and your skills and your resources to help others in this world, yes, you're helping people in the immediate, but you know what else you're doing? You're worshiping God. You're saying to the Lord, I love you and you have first place in my life and you are so awesome that I want to give back of myself to you in this way. And God receives that as worship to him. What an encouraging thought. Now verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that cool? So here's the Philippian church. They've been sacrificial. They've collected money. They've given it to Paul to help him in his time of need to minister and do what God has called him to do. And then Paul says, you know what's going to happen? God is going to supply your need. Because that's how God works in this world. He uses people to help people. He uses us to be an instrument of his generosity. And when we will be willing to be used by God to help others, what's God going to do? He uses others to help and be a blessing and minister to us. And you know what God's looking for in this world? He's looking for funnels instead of buckets. Do you know what I mean by that? God is up in heaven and he has immense blessings that he's ready to pour out in our life. And many of us, we would rather be a bucket and place ourselves beneath the blessings of God and say, yes, Lord, please bless me and give me wealth and give me health and give me a successful job and give me uh, a successful kids and give me a, a cushy life and give me all these things and I'm more than willing to be happy to be a 21st century American Christian and enjoy wonderful prosperity and technology and all these great things in my life and I never ever share it with anybody else. And instead what God's looking for is somebody to be a funnel, to receive the blessings that God has poured out and to channel it elsewhere. And the beautiful thing is when we all decide to be a funnel, to be a pipeline for God's blessings, there's this incredible pipe work <laughs> that be begins to be created. And in the same way that we've channeled God's blessings to somebody else, inevitably God uses somebody else to channel blessings back our way. And that's not our motivator. and We don't give so that we can get, but God in his beautiful sovereignty allows us to be blessed by other people and allows us to be used to be a blessing. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. And I want you to, to, to hone in on verse 35. We mentioned it in the 9 o'clock hour, but I want to come back to it. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 35 of Acts 20. He says, I have showed you all things. How that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. You need to help those in need. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that your testimony? Is that something you can say from experience? Nay, it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That the times in my life that I've been Willing and able to help others, that was better than anything that I could have and selfishly hoard. So let's go back to our original question. What's the best investment opportunity of 2022? If I came to you this morning and I said, I've got an investment 
that pays a guaranteed 30% return a year. Guaranteed. And it was verifiable. Like, it wasn't like a Ponzi scheme or some kind of scam. Like, it was, it was real. Would you invest your money in that? In fact, I would venture to say you would probably radically alter your finances so that you could funnel as much money as possible into that, whatever that is. Well, what Paul is saying here is this investment in eternity is better than that. Because the upside is unlimited. An investment that continues for all eternity and there's no risk because God guarantees its safety. God guarantees its permanence. So are you missing out? Are you like Ron Wayne in the 1970s? Will there be a day when you are in heaven looking back at this life and you will say, man, I missed it. I spent my whole time, my energy, so I could build up the 401k, so I could have the emergency savings, so I could live in the house that I wanted to, so I could drive the car that I wanted, so my kids could go to the college that I hoped they would go to, and now it's all gone. And now I'm here in eternity, and all of that that I worked for benefits me no longer. Or will you be in heaven one day and say, man, I'm so glad that I used the small time that I was on this earth and the resources that I had to help others. Are you investing in God's kingdom? Do you give of yourself? Do you give of your resources, of your time, of your, of your skills? Imagine what would happen if we all decided to invest in eternity. What if we really got it? What if we just were all in for the Lord and his kingdom? How would that change us? How would, this, how would it change this church? How would it change this community? How much more would this church be equipped to be what God wants you to be? How many more people would be sitting in the pews of this room, growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ, if we said, man, I don't want to live for the here and now. I don't want to live for stuff. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for what God's doing. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do this week. All right, I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. In your handout there on the back page, I have, there's the notes. On the back page there, there's just two columns. One column says assets, the other column says value. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. At some point, I want you to take just a few minutes, and I want you to, just to the best of your ability, I want you to jot down everything that you have that has a dollar of value to it. Could be a bank account, could be a retirement account, could be the value of your home or your vehicle, could be a collectible or land or whatever you have. Just write it down, put a dollar amount next to it. Now, maybe it'll take you 10 seconds. Maybe it'll take you a little bit longer. But here's what I want you to do. Once you list that all out, I want you to lay that before the Lord, and I want you to pray and say, Lord, help me to remember that everything here on this piece of paper is going to be gone one day. And help me to identify ways that I can not just live for this, but I can live for eternity. Help me to identify ways that I can help those in my church, those in my community, those that do not know Jesus Christ, and I can invest in eternity. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're saying, well, Nate, you're talking about heaven, eternity. I, I, don't, I don't even know about all that. I, I don't, I'm not sure. 
I hope that I would go to heaven one day. I know this has been a message about finances and giving, but can I just say this? If there's never been a time in your life where you've given yourself to the Lord, that you placed your faith and trust in him and him alone to forgive you of your sins and to give you an eternal home in heaven, I hope that today would be that day, and I hope today you would talk to somebody about that and make that important decision. But if you say, Nate, I've done that, that's true of me, I believe that heaven is my home, then let's ask ourselves today, what's the best investment opportunity of 2022? I would submit to you that it's investing in eternity. And to the extent that we will pursue that, that we will ask God to give us opportunities to do that, I know he'll bless that in our lives. Let's pray as we close our service this morning.